Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. We've just heard from President Joe Biden uh, return from Camp David to the White House to address the nation today as it relates to what is unfolding in Afghanistan, the fall of Kabul, uh, the loss of the embassy and the current evacuation uh, of both uh, U.S. people working there at the embassy, uh, as well as some of those uh, Afghanis who were helpful in terms of being interpreters and guides and contractors. Uh, but much chaos and a lot of uncertainty uh, in the road ahead. I want to go through the president's speech for just a moment to to just break it down a little bit. Uh, and again, I uh, I'm, I'm a water's edge guy in terms of of how we go about this and the kind of conversation we have. We can be critical, we can raise questions, uh, but we don't need to rage about anything. Uh, we don't need to weaponize or politicize every last little nuance. But but I want to look at the the real issues. I actually thought the president did a great job. I think the first half of the speech uh, was very strong from the president. It was uh, well organized, well thought out, uh, and then it sort of seemed to kind of lose its way. And so I want to break down just a little bit of that. Uh, the president began, uh, and he also ended with this, uh, focusing on uh, the fact that things just seemed to be moving a little quicker than even they had anticipated. I stand squarely behind my decision. After 20 years, I've learned the hard way that there was never a good time to withdraw U.S. forces. That's why we're still there. We were clear-eyed about the risks. We planned for every contingency, but I always promised the American people that I would be straight with you. The truth is, this did unfold more quickly than we had anticipated. The president went on to talk about the local Afghan leaders that they gave up, and that's why the military collapsed. Afghanistan political leaders gave up and fled the country. The Afghan military collapsed sometime without trying to fight. I also think it's interesting, uh, there was a great emphasis uh, throughout the speech that there really never was or would be a good time to withdraw from Afghanistan. Uh, and just because that there wouldn't be a good time doesn't mean that we shouldn't have withdrawn. Uh, and the president continued to make the case, continued to take ownership that uh, that was his decision. He did stand by it. Uh, and again, he, he went back uh, regularly throughout the speech to the role of the local uh, Afghan leaders. American troops cannot and should not 
be fighting in a war and dying in a war that Afghan forces are not willing to fight for themselves. We spent over a trillion dollars. We trained and equipped an Afghan military force with some 300,000 strong, incredibly well equipped, a force larger in size than the militaries of many of our NATO allies. The president went on to talk about how the U.S. had equipped the Afghan people uh, and the army in particular, and that they really were positioned to decide their own future and just didn't. We gave them every tool they could need. We paid their salaries, provided for the maintenance of their Air Force, something the Taliban doesn't have. Taliban does not have an Air Force. We provided close air support. We gave them every chance to determine their own future. We could not provide them was the will to fight for that future. So one of the things that's interesting, and we're going to talk about this more on the other side of the bottom of the hour break, uh, and that is that, you know, for this last, really since 2014, uh, we've been more in this mode, especially over the last several years, of more having these, you know, rotational divisions in there, about 2,500 uh, U.S. troops in. And that's a very different operation. That's a very different in terms of structure and mission uh, and what goes on. But it does make a difference. Uh, we saw that in Iraq. We were just talking in the, the newsroom during the break that this does make a difference. Uh, even if you only have a limited force there, a rotational division, uh, that sends a, an important message to both those that are on your side as well as those who are you're fighting against. Uh, and maintaining that status quo is, is an interesting thing, and there's real power there. We saw that in Iraq uh, with that rotational force in place. Uh, when when it wasn't in place, uh, everything kind of collapsed and, and the Iraqi forces walked away. But with that rotational division in there, uh, they did stand up. They did take on ISIS. They did uh, put down the caliphate in many areas of Iraq. And I think we could have seen similar things uh, in Afghanistan. The president has now, of course, authorized uh, three times the number uh, of troops that were in there. Again, 2,500. Now we're up to almost 7,000. Uh, will be in there to deal with this mission, the closing of the embassy, getting everyone out. And we're going to continue to process this. What is what is it? What does it mean? What is the road ahead? Stay with us. Much more to come on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.